Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So, of course, it was real. It was real from the very second we heard about it. They suppressed it. They hid it. They kept you from talking about it. But, of course, it was real. We're not talking about Santa real or Easter Bunny real. No, no, no. We're talking real, real. And that, of course, was everything about Hunter Biden's laptop. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number, 833-468-8669. That is the number. This story breaking that a guy by the name of Douglas Wise, former Defense Intelligence Agency deputy director, former CIA operations officer, he was one of the former intel officials who claimed that the New York Post reporting about Hunter Biden's laptop abandoned at a computer shop with all this data, with all this information. That letter said that that laptop had, quote, all the earmarks, all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. But in an interview that was published just Sunday with The Australian, he admits that most of what was found in the reported emails had to be based in reality, saying, and I'm quoting, all of us figured that a significant portion of the content had to be real to make any Russian disinformation credible. Now, let's stop for a moment because I am pretty sure from my perch here at 40 Monument Circle in Indianapolis, Indiana, I can absolutely hear you scream. And you ain't wrong. Dirty Perkins, hard to back, flat, and fortin, still a bunch of burden. Wagon fries, slot, wagon, slaughtered back, car in that cataback, rack a lot of cutie free. We should really check that to see if there's any actual cursing that Yosemite Sam does. I mean, I mean, I thought we should probably check that. My gosh, what kind of show am I running here? Of course it was. Now, two and a half years later, after a presidential election, after a midterm election, now we're having the conversation? This intelligence expert, no regrets as the reporting goes to signing the letter, but that it was no surprise, I'm quoting there, you can feel the air quotes, punching you in the face. No surprise, unquote, that the emails were genuine. If the emails were genuine, why did you say it was Russian disinformation when it wasn't? Why didn't you say the following words? We know that the emails are genuine. Why didn't you tell us that? And let us make the decision on, well, maybe it's Russian disinformation, but the emails are genuine. Hmm. Wouldn't that have been honest? But honesty was not the name of the game. Honesty was not the purpose. Honesty was not the job. How is one expected to have faith in the system 
When the system has no faith in the people, when the system is designed, developed, and has been built out to lie to us. You want to argue that Russia is an adversary, I agree. You want to argue that Russia works to play in U.S. elections, I agree. But that doesn't mean that the emails weren't real. The emails, as you're telling us now, were real. Why didn't you tell us then? And the answer is, of course, political. The idea that intelligence agencies want our trust is nonsense. They don't care whether we trust them or not. They're going to keep pumping out what they're pumping out, and they're going to use the vaunted nature of their status to tell us that we can't question it. That's what the media is going to do. That's what the talking heads are going to do. Well, the intelligence officials say, oh, like you know more than the intelligence officials. You mean Trump knows more than the generals? Trump may not know more than the generals, the former president, but he's the guy who got elected president, so he gets to tell the generals what to do. That's the way we work. The entire system is built on the civilian telling the expert general what to do, where to go, what military operations to engage in, where to stand, where to sit, hold the door and fetch my latte. That's what we do. We have this world-class military, which should be built on the idea of killing the enemy and breaking things, and somehow we've gotten into way too much wokeness. And we have it run by people who may not have served a day in their lives. Now, it's not always been the case, of course. We have a tremendous number of presidents who have a long and valuable history of service and serving the nation in the military. But we have certainly gotten away from that. That doesn't seem to be job number one or uh, qualification number one in our world today. Maybe it needs to be. Maybe it's something that needs to come back. But I bring this up to say, of course, we have civilians telling the generals, the experts, what to do. This also plays into this idea of the expert class in society. The expert class, which there is, let's, let's not deny, there are people who are experts at things. They study their whole lives. I'm not saying they have Google and they looked something up while they were sitting on the couch during commercial breaks for America's Got Talent. I'm saying they study because they can connect the dots. Knowledge is easy. Oh, knowledge is super easy. You pick up your phone, boom, you got knowledge. You got knowledge up the wazoo. And you can also figure out what the wazoo is by looking it up, boom. Now you know what the wazoo is and you know you got knowledge straight up it. But the real story, the real conversation of expertise is how these things connect. How do you make that knowledge connect? How do you make it understood? And then what does that tell you based on your years of study? I don't question whether or not Dr. Anthony Fauci has a tremendous amount of knowledge. What, what, what? You can't deny it. Of course he has a tremendous amount of knowledge. And what did he do with that knowledge? Played politics. 
He played politics with the knowledge, preventing us from getting good information. And then, of course, he decided that uh, you uh, wanting to live your life the way you see fit is nice. But at times like this, the Constitution doesn't really matter. Times like this being, of course, COVID. What value is an expert class in that situation where not only do we listen, but then we're told we're not allowed to question? We discussed it here numerous times, numerous times uh, about the idea of the second opinion. Doctors are the expert class, right? We, we can all agree that the doctor is the expert. You go to the doctor and you're like, hey, I got this thing on, on, on my arm. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure my arm isn't supposed to do that. And I got the, uh, it's like a rash, but it's, it's, it's I don't know. There's a thing and it's kind of nasty and there's a smell. I don't know what it is. And you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, we need to amputate. Yeah, arms, arms got to go. All right, we can schedule that for, uh, for you know what, right now. I have myself a semi-rusty cleaver in a drawer. I e- haven't even cleaned it in a week. Worked perfect. Boom. And what do you say? I think I'm going to get a second opinion. We accept that there is an expert class. They share their knowledge and the connectivity of that knowledge. But in the end, we make the decision of what we're going to do with that knowledge. We decide. When it came to COVID, we were told there is only one expert opinion. And if you think you have a different expert opinion. (laughs) And we we knocked you out. We threw you off social media. We made fun of your meemaw. Society worked to destroy you. Doctors had different opinions and they were told they were not allowed to have that opinion. And social media worked to not share those opinions. Expertise not only became something that we laud and glorify, we were told we cannot question. But of course we can question experts. They don't exist to tell us there's only one way we can live our lives and we must do it. They're there to explain things and then we go, huh, interesting. And then we still go about living our own life. Well, over the years, the society has been created that you cannot question the expert class. You're not allowed to question because all of these former intelligence officers and security experts, they told you that these emails on Hunter Biden's laptop had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And you weren't allowed to question that. And they didn't engage people who would question that. The talking head said, oh, look, we have a list of experts. That's done. That's reason enough for Twitter not only not allow the sharing of it, not you not allow you to post about it, not allow you to talk about it. Just ah, perfect, perfect sense. It's radical. It's a radical point of view. It's an ugly point of view. Everything about it is wrong, and now they're just admitting it. 
Now they're just admitting it, just putting it right out there. Oh, yeah, we were full of crap. Have a nice day. Oh, yeah, we knew those were fake, but we, 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 uh, doesn't matter. Why would I believe them again? Some of the people who signed that were John Brennan and James Clapper. John Brennan, former CIA director, communist, was a member of the Communist Party. I'm supposed to listen to him again? Well, CNN still pays him, right? James Clapper, former director of national intelligence, or was he acting director of national intelligence? Either way, I'm supposed to trust him? Leon Panetta, who is so tied to the Clinton team, you wonder how he hasn't had an accidental death yet? And they still put these people out there. No one ever says, you lied to Americans. You lied to the press. We're not going to trust you anymore. You lose this vaunted status. If I was president of the United States on day one, I would ensure that all of these people don't have access to national security information ever again. Not just in my term. I would do everything in my power to ensure they never get access. Because they didn't use their expertise to share with us what they knew. They used their status to tell us what they wanted us to hear. What fit the fable of their party and their fellow ideologues. There's no forgiveness there. There should be no forgiveness there. I'm not about to, to, to do it. And I'm not about to listen to, the, to listen to them again. You hear these experts? Know for sure that the odds are, based on their own histories, that they're lying to you. Which is a real shame because when you can't trust these people, you know, it's, it's, it, it creates a problem. We're conditioned to trust expertise. We're conditioned to say, man, New York Times printed it. Must be real. And then the New York Times has the audacity. The publisher, Arthur Salzberger, to go over to Davos and make the claim that they have standards. On teaching, um, uh, students and, and young people how to recognize uh, disinformation. Um, so there clearly are models that work. I also think it's useful for us not to overthink the problem too much. I mean, ultimately, what you're teaching people in those moments, as much as anything, as much as, as, as you're teaching them to recognize a lie, I suspect you're teaching them to recognize um, trustworthy sources, whether that's you know, an institution like the Times or the Post or the Journal, whether that's um, scientists, whether that's academia. Um, but, there, you know, dis being discerning about trust and in, in some ways finding institutional proxies for trust, um, you know, where there are reliable, transparent standards, you know. I don't know where he sees those reliable, transparent standards. Trust institutions like the Times or the Washington Post? You're going to teach people to recognize a lie and recognize trustworthy sources 
like the Times or the Washington Post. Man, uh, leave it it to the experts to pat themselves on the back to prove how important the experts are. You know better. And I am a believer that you can discern, that you can do the research, you can gather the information, and you can suss out the facts from so much of their political fiction. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. There's still a lot of jobs available. I mean, you want a job, it's out there. Everyone's hiring, but there's just no people. This leads to the conversation about the Great Resignation. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. So the idea was, was that people are like, eh, COVID, you know what? I'm done. I'm done working. I'm done with everything. I don't need a job. I'm not, that's it, I'm gone. Or they engaged uh, levels of the gig economy and are doing a whole series of other things and not taking a traditional route. They don't want to show up to the office anymore, which I understand. I understand. I've got construction going on in the house because of the flood. Uh, came home uh, from a vacation during the, the holidays. And uh, uh, according to the water company, 50,000 gallons of water poured through my house. That's a five with four zero. I'm assuming that's a swimming pool or so that I, I, I could have had. But nope. No, it's, it's, uh, it, was, it was just my floors and my walls and books. Uh, last count was 350 books. And we're talking about stuff you can't replace uh the prayer book from my bar mitzvah gone gone books that my my father-in-law gave my wife uh he has since passed away gone it's you 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 don't know the stuff where you're like man i really did have a connection and it's things right and things don't matter as much as people things don't matter as much as experiences but still but still uh but uh you know i'm in studio today but i usually work from home I had gone to a conference three years ago, I think it is now, and one person at this conference of 2,000 people had COVID, and they said, why don't you stay home for a week? And I never came back. I've been in the studio more the last two weeks because of the construction going on in the house than I have in the past two and a half years. And let me tell you, I don't like it. And there are lovely people who work here. Lovely producers, lovely engineers. I mean, they're, they're nice people. I just don't need to see them. I'm better off when I'm left alone. So that has, that that feel has also caused a lot of people to change the way they're 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 working and they're looking. So when you see jobs added, you're like, okay, this is good. This is this is good news. This is excellent stuff that we're seeing jobs uh, added. You only wish it was more, but we still have not gotten to the point where we have built back jobs. To the, mo- to, the, to the number of the jobs lost. The Biden administration is desperate to tell you they've created all these jobs. They haven't created any jobs. None. Zero. We're still coming back. Now, that number may, may get crossed soon. I only hope it does. 
I really do. But right now, we don't have people to fill the jobs that are out there. And there seems to be no end in sight. Jim Banks, congressman's running for Senate. That interview up next. I'm Tony Katz. Congressman Jim Banks announces today that he is running for Senate. It had been rumored for some while. He said that he was looking at it. He decided to pull the trigger. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. Now, this Senate race can be fascinating. And it can be fascinating because this possibility that here in Indiana, Mitch Daniels is going to get into that race as well. The former governor of Indiana, two terms, former president of Purdue University, huge name ID in Indiana. But you have a group called the Club for Growth saying that Mitch Daniels, he's way too old school. He's not the kind of Republican you'd run today. Right? The whole idea of being a rhino, Republican in name only. The whole idea of being weak, afraid of the social issues. Well, you can't be afraid of the social issues. But when you look at Congressman Jim Banks, who I personally like, he's been on the show numerous times, I I like the man. This is also somebody who voted repeatedly for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Even when he himself had been nominated, somebody put up his name as Speaker. Kept voting for Kevin McCarthy. Has voted for spending. Is that the Republican people are looking for? And of course, not only do these things matter nationwide, they matter statewide. Because every state is different in what they want and what they do and how the voters move. In Indiana, I've been here now eight and a half years. I don't know if I'm officially a Hoosier yet. I don't know when I get my plaque and I don't maybe maybe a Maybe a, a slice of a slice of pie, sugar cream, of course. Um, Republicans in Indiana are odd because you're like, oh, Indiana, that's the reddest of the red of the red. Republicans don't act like that here. Governor Eric Holcomb, very, very far from the red. Well, did, did I mention very far? Outrageously far from the red. Not in everything, but in too many things. These are people who like to spend. These are people who like to tax. It's a very strange place. And so you get, depending on your location within the state, and this is probably true of a lot of places, different views of the Republican Party from Republicans or conservatives like like myself. So Congressman Jim Banks maybe does very well in the North, very well in the South. I don't know how he does in the center of the state. It could be just the flip for Mitch Daniels. But then there's the question of whether or not Republicans in the state of Indiana really see Mitch Daniels as somebody who's wishy-washy, weak, yesterday's news. I mean, Club for Growth can put that out. I don't know if it's necessarily true. But this was about Congressman Jim Banks running for Senate. And I spoke with him earlier, and I said, okay, before anything, let's ask the tough questions. You ran for House leadership. It didn't work out. Now you're running for Senate. How do you discuss this with Hoosiers about this not being political opportunism? 
Yeah, hey, Tony, good to be with you. Excited to launch our campaign for the United States Senate today. Uh, Mike Braun announced uh, just a few weeks ago that he is running for governor, opens up the Senate seat. Uh, this was not an easy decision uh, for Amanda, our family, uh, to go through. But we just feel strongly that Indiana deserves a conservative fighter in the United States Senate. And uh, the, the timing is as such that the, the Senate seat is open and we feel called to run for it. Uh, it's not about me. It's not about opportunities for me. It's about Indiana. It's about our country. I love America. I served in Afghanistan. I have three young daughters, as you know, and I'm, I'm concerned about the where, the direction of this country and, and uh, uh, where the country is heading, and I want to do my part. So if you get to move to the Senate, what can be done that can't be done in the House where Republicans have control? Yeah, you know, this, is, uh, this was a big part of our, our decision. We spent Christmas uh, holiday uh, really talking through uh, what, where we've been and, and where we think we need to go. Um, I've, I've had a tremendous opportunity the last six years to be a member of the House. I've been on the front lines, been the leader of the largest conservative caucus. And um, the, in the House of Representatives, we have the majority today, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to use the leverage of that majority to uh, do whatever we can to fight back against the radical left agenda. But, Tony, so many times I, I watch – the Senate, and uh, just I, I see uh, too many times uh, Republicans in the Senate who go along to get along, and instead of the the, the fighters that try to fight back against the the, the, the Democrat agenda, you saw a 1.7 trillion dollar omnibus bill pass just a few weeks ago in the lame duck. Um, we uh, you, we were unified in opposing it in the House, but uh, just not a, not a big enough fight against it in the Senate. So that that's why I, I just believe Indiana deserves that type of uh, conservative. Mike Braun, by the way, has been a reliable, strong conservative voice for Hoosier values in the United States Senate. In fact, he forced the entire Senate to vote on a balanced budget amendment. And that's the type of leadership Indiana expects out of their senators. It's the type of senator that I want to be, to be fiscally conservative, to fight, to hold China accountable, to uh, fight on the important uh, cultural issues of the day, like like keeping girls sports for girls. Those are all issues that I care about that I, I just believe strongly that the Senate provides an even bigger opportunity uh, to, to, to fight for well, let us discuss in that cause than, than where we've been. Well, let us discuss where those opportunities are. Talking to Jim Banks, Congressman Indiana 3rd District, announcing his run for Senate, Banks, B-A-N-K-S, BanksforSenate.com. You talk about that Senate leadership. It seems pretty obvious to me you're talking about the leadership of Senator Mitch McConnell. You get to the U.S. Senate. Are you pushing back uh, against uh, Senator McConnell and his leadership in the Senate? Well, let me put it this way, Tony. I want to be a part of the next generation of, of conservative leadership. And I've, I've, I've been able to to do that in the House, but with Mike Braun announcing he's not running for Senate again, I, I, I believe that it's it's time in America for the next generation, for fresh conservative leadership. And, again, I've, I've worn the uniform. I, I love my country. I love my state. And this provides me a bigger opportunity to go to the Senate and try to shake it up. I mean, I, I, just, I look over there, and I just I believe – the Senate needs a shakeup, and uh, in Indiana, that we, we we are a conservative state. We deserve conservative uh, senators and representatives, and and uh, that, that's why I'm running. That's why I feel called to run, just because I 
I, I just believe this is a this, this this country is at a crossroads. The radical left has done so much damage in just two years with Joe Biden in the White House, and we we either have uh, Republicans in the Senate who go along to get along, or we have Republicans who are going to use the power that they have. A, a single senator has a lot of power to to fight back and, and with the filibuster rules and different tools. Well, let's discuss to to fight back even harder. Let's discuss, sir, the idea of going along to get along, because here's going to be one of the hits, sir. This is a hit that's going to come directly at you. I only assume you've got a way of responding. You voted for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House from the beginning. Even when your name was brought up as a potential speaker, you kept voting for Kevin McCarthy. If the fight is against going along to get along, how do you explain a vote for a guy who was seen by many as a go along to get along kind of person. Well, I, first of all, I don't. I don't think that uh, he is that type of person. And the the, the rules that came out of last week uh, that empowers rank and file members takes ma- makes the Speaker of the House less powerful. Rank and file members uh, giving them more power. That's good and healthy for the institution, especially when we're talking about fighting back against the radical left agenda. So that came out of last week. Kevin McCarthy made a lot of those agreements to the rules packages even before we started voting uh, for Speaker. Kevin McCarthy also committed to do something I think is historic and will be a part of his legacy and this this, uh, Congress's legacy in the House to create a select committee on China to to for the first time in in uh, congressional history for the House of Representatives to name China as our greatest threat and to put a committee together to develop a whole-of-government approach and strategy to hold China accountable for what they've done to our economy, for how they gave us COVID, for the, what, what they're doing to try to, to, try to control uh, the, the rest of the world and diminish America and change our American way of life. So I like what I see coming out of the House of Representatives. Last week, we, we, uh, we, we passed other conservative bills, a pro-life bill to save babies who were born after botched abortions. Uh, we're off to a strong conservative start in the House, I'm concerned that there aren't enough conservative fighters in the Senate, and that's why today I'm kicking off my campaign for Senate. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, running for Senate in the state of Indiana, Banks, B-A-N-K-S, banksforsenate.com. I went to the site. Took a look at the issues. Of course, there's always uh, issues. And while you discuss uh, standing with Israel is on your list, uh, backing uh, the police is on your list, secure elections, uh, reducing the national debt. Number one on your list, it was the first thing listed, so therefore I call it number one, is secure the border. Secure the border is the most important thing to Hoosiers? I really believe that it is. Uh, What's going on at the border is the biggest humanitarian crisis in American history. And it's not just the millions of illegals who are flooding into our country with a uh, with a welcome sign at an open border that Joe Biden hung there when he reversed the effective Trump policies that secured the border. He opened the border wide open on his first day as president. It's also about the fentanyl crisis, Tony. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know that uh, I can find a family today who hasn't been affected by the drug crisis in America that's a direct result of uh, the open border. And that affects Indiana as much as anything. I mean, I, I, the communities that I represent, uh, big or small, the, the rural communities all over northeast Indiana, the, the flood of fentanyl into this country. Fentanyl is now the leading cause of death of Americans yours and, and my age. And uh, that's a direct result of what's going on down there. And I, 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 I believe that what the Biden administration doing is doing there is intentional. 
and uh, it's wrong. It's shameful. Uh, it's uh, it's a humanitarian crisis that we've got to stop and end. And, and Republicans have to use our, our, our leverage in the majority to do something about it. And we need fighters in the United States Senate who will make the border a, a, uh, a cause that is worth fighting for when it comes to spending deals uh, to, to force uh, the Biden administration to spend money on building the wall and securing the border. That would be one of my very top priorities. Before I let you go, sir, uh, in a race for Senate, uh, this Senate race got heated before you even announced with the Club for Growth putting out an ad campaign attempting to punch former Indiana governor and Purdue president Mitch Daniels directly in the face before he even gets into this race because it's been rumored that he may also run for the Senate. David McIntosh uh, of the Club for Growth um, and putting out this ad campaign saying he's the wrong kind of Republican for Indiana. If Mitch Daniels gets into this race, is Club for Growth correct that Mitch Daniels is the wrong kind of Republican? Well, look, Tony, I, I don't know if he's running or not. I, I actually called him last week to tell him I was, I'm was i running. I respect him. I learned a lot from him as a young uh, state senator at the end of his time as governor. And uh, I'm, I, I can only talk about why I'm running. I, I believe Indiana being the conservative state that it is deserves a conservative senator. I've been one of the most conservative members of the House of Representatives. I have a strong track record of leading the fight on the House floor on the issues that matter to Hoosiers. And that's why I'm, that's why I believe the Senate needs that type of of, uh, of of senator from the great state of Indiana. So I'm going to crisscross the state and make my case. I don't know who else will run. Um, it might be a very crowded field. I'm the first one in the race today. I'm excited to launch my campaign. Uh, go to banksforsenate.com. Help us out. Get involved. Um, I, I believe this matters to not just the Hoosiers, but to the future of our country. America is at a crossroads and. We need Republicans that that are going to fight back against the radical left, and and I'm I'm the one with the track record of doing that. You know, it's so funny. It it, it seems to me that there's always a conversation about the crossroads, always a conversation in the most important election uh, of of our time. That that's always my take of it. My thanks to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana Third District running for Senate. Banks for Senate. dot com. But this idea of, of where where are Hoosiers, where are the people of Indiana and the kind of Republican they want to vote for? And this is a fight that's getting created where? In the state or from outside the state? That's very interesting. By the way, I, I like Congressman Banks. You won't see me have a problem with Senator Banks. I just I just wouldn't. That would work. I I can make that work for me. It's just gonna be a very interesting fight. In the state. And if Mitch Daniels does get into this race, Indiana Senate race becomes primary, primary, becomes one of the hottest stories politically in the country. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. I got this feeling inside my bones. So I'm hours away from my first ever trip to Red Lobster. That's right. That's right. I have never, ever been to Red Lobster. I, I don't know how I avoided it. You know, I mean, my rabbi is always like, you should go. It's amazing. I'm like, really, rabbi? He goes, oh, the shrimp, the lobster, especially anything you can get with meat and cheese. It's just beautiful. I'm like, you mean that, Rabbi? He goes, would I lie? 
Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. I've never been to Red Lobster. I, I, I don't know. I had many other things going on in my life. I was very busy. Very busy. And all the times... Uh, anybody ever said to me, hey, you want to go to Red Lobster? And I was like, oh, I, I, I only wish I could. I'm just so busy with these other things. No one has ever asked me, ever, ever, ever asked me if I want to go to Red Lobster. It's, it's never come up. Not a single conversation. Not my college days. Not, not uh, my days of living in Jersey. My days of living in Florida. California. Indiana. It has never come up. And I brought this up the other day, and then uh, some friends uh, the next day said to me, oh, oh, we're going. We're, we're going to Red Lobster. I'm like, we're going to Red Lobster? And they're like, we made reservations. I don't know if you can make reservations at Red Lobster. I said, so we're having the Cheddar Bay Biscuits? And they're like, oh, you better believe we're having the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. I said, and then we're leaving? They're like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Full experience. So I've been looking at the menu about what I can what I can uh, get, and people have been recommending on Twitter, at Tony Katz, what I should eat at Red Lobster. And some people said uh, you should get the water and then leave. Just have a glass of water and then leave. That's all you want. And some people are, like, recommending, uh, like, the, there's, there's, like, a stuffed flounder, and then there's fried shrimp. How can you go wrong with fried shrimp? It's shrimp, breadcrumbs, and oil. That's, like, seven of your basic food groups right there. So, um... If you have any advice, anything I should I should have, um, let me know. Let me know at Tony Katz on uh, Twitter, or you can leave me a comment, uh, TonyKatz.Locals.com. Uh, and, um, I mean, people go, so it's like, I'm going to be fine. You don't have to say a prayer for me. People need prayers. I, I, I'm, I'm good. But I guess if you want to. This is Tony Katz today.